what you ask me to do That you know I won't do for anybody but you I'm okay even when I've been crying And you know I'd be lying if I said I don't cry for you But I'm smiling at the top of my game You don't see it the same But I've got my eye on A prize bigger than you calling my name And at the end of the day I want you to rely on me Welcome to The Barn Live, coming to you today from our Milwaukee studio. Thank you for joining us today. We're here with local musician and Milwaukee mainstay, who has a new album coming out on June 2nd, Andrew David Weber. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing all right, man. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this a lot. Really glad you asked me. Yeah, busy. Uh, you've been busy, too, I, I assume, right? We got, we got a new album coming out, which we'll get to, but I know you play tons of shows and things like that, too, so we'll definitely get into that. Before we get into the new album, for those who haven't heard any of your music, this may be tough for you to answer, but what type of music does Andrew David Weber play? Uh, well, a lot of that would depend on what album you're listening to and then which band it is. But uh, if it's just the Andrew David Weber band, um, I kind of dabble in a little bit of everything, but I would say it always comes back to being rock-based. Um, I actually have this funny thing where I'll like submit my albums for reviews or something, or, uh, you know, put out a music video. And I get all this attention for the one song that the music video is for, or uh, the song that I said for review. But then I'll send it to like a country station, because I've got a country song, and they're like, well, we can't promote your album, because it's not really a country album. We listened to it and heard a bunch of thrash metal. So uh, <laughs> it's not going to work. We're sorry. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, man, and I've had the same thing happen, where I released the metal song, and then, uh, hey, I bought your album and there's just a bunch of country stuff on here. You know? Right. And I'm like, yeah, uh, you guys will get used to it. I'm just going to keep releasing music the way that I do. And hopefully people will grab onto it because I, I like having fun with it. And it does flow in a weird way. Like, I'm not trying to throw, you know, curveballs every two seconds. I try to make cohesive records, but that are also fun for me that I don't get bored with. Like, my mood changes sometimes on the drive into the studio. You know, I'll be like listening to Megadeth. And then I'll like, all right, well, I've been doing this for half the drive. Let me just throw on some Ed Sheeran quick or something. <laughs> and then it makes a really weird result when I, when yeah. I get there because I'm, ha I'm in both modes, you know. And you listen to wide range music, I guess, too. Fan of it all? Yeah. Um, people always ask me, like, what's your favorite? And that changes all the times. I have, like, one consistent favorite band. No, two consistent favorite bands, which are Alice in Chains and Coheed and Cambria. If you ask me on any day, any year, any time, you know, whatever. I'm going to say one of those two bands and then like three other bands that vary. Queen usually makes their way in there somewhere in the top five. And I think that might be where some of that uh, sporadicness comes from, too, because if you listen to Queen records, they jump a lot. <laughs> yeah. And you've got that vocal range, too. You sing a lot of low stuff. You sing a lot of high falsetto stuff. So it's the same journey as the album. Your voice kind of makes the same journey, I feel like. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because like sometimes that'll just be like me getting tired midway through the day. And I'll be like, I want to sing something in the lower register, <laughs> you yeah. know, and see what happens. Um, there's a song on my new record that was like that. Originally, the whole thing was way up high. And uh, it's track two on the, on the new one, on the Gift of Movement. Um, I ended up singing it way down low for half of the song until I was ready to, to jump up again, just because I had been singing all day. Right. And I liked the way that that turned out. So I kept it. So how, how many tracks do you record that get thrown away and never get used again? None. None? I don't throw you anything away. You always find a way to use it somewhere somehow? Yep. Um, and that's why we talked about it a little bit before the interview. Um, one of the songs on this record I wrote when I was 14 years old. 
Uh, if anything, that song has become three separate songs by now. I just took pieces of like the old version. I'm like, oh, that doesn't really fit with this, but oh, this sounds good here. Sure. And then that other part that didn't fit, I didn't just throw it away. I was like, oh, it fits over here. You know, so the bulk of the song was written when I was 14, but then a little bit when I was 22 and then like a little bit a couple months ago. So going back to young Andrew David Weber, so what's like a short version of your history? Because you've been playing music since you were pretty young, right? Yeah. Um, basically, when I was like three or four years old, my parents got me this little acoustic guitar just to kind of beat around on. I think one of my uncles got me a drum, too. Um, so we had musical instruments around the house, but I, I don't think I was really sentient enough to appreciate them or like know what was going on with them. But they were always around. Um, and then I started telling people that I was in a band when I was like eight, um, even though I wasn't. <laughs> I just wanted one. So I would try to start bands at school. And this one time I started a, a band, must have been eight or nine years old, maybe 10. And I had started this band and it got, got to be that there were like 22 kids in it. Because, like, I just asked everybody in the school, like, do you play any music? And everybody said yes. It turned out we were all lying. <laughs> everybody just wanted to be in a band. <laughs> yeah. And so I had lyrics, and I could play a couple guitar chords. And then um, what really happened, what really set it off was there was this ad in the paper for music lessons in town. And uh, my mom found it and asked if any of us kids wanted to take music lessons and my sister said yeah i want to take piano and i said yeah i want to take guitar um, my sister ended up quitting piano pretty early on but that meant there, there was a keyboard in the house so i started messing with that right and then i went through a few guitar teachers they, they probably had commitment issues or something i don't know like <laughs> one of them i just started with the guy and then like uh, he was from the netherlands so uh, he just goes, I'm going home one day. And that was it. Like, that's what I remember. You know, it was probably a longer conversation than that. But sure. my 10-year-old brain, that was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, bye. Yeah. Um, we just started. And then there was this other girl and she had like surgeries all the time, I remember. Like, she'd be like, oh, yeah, I've got a medical thing. I've got a medical thing. And then that's always unfortunate because I, I definitely get that now. I've been in a couple of those scenarios. But uh, I ended up with this guy. I remember his name. His name is Sean Manns. And if Sean Manns is out there anywhere listening to this, thanks, dude. Right. Because um, <laughs> he was the one who introduced me to like palm muting and uh, playing Metallica songs and like stuff that was fun and not just like burn this chord progression. Yeah. yeah. Learn, learn these notes, the same notes everybody's been learning. Just start, you know, learn Ode to Joy. <laughs> right. Stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he got me into some cool stuff. I remember playing Ramones songs with him. Uh, I remember playing, uh, yeah, like Metallica and a bunch of Ozzy Osbourne stuff we were starting to try to do. And then we were using these books and my mom was like, hey, you know, these lessons are getting a little expensive. Do you feel like you need the lessons? Because it seems like you get through the books by yourself. And I'm like, oh, no, I just like hanging out with this guy. <laughs> so, so this was all guitar? Yep, that was all guitar. So you learned guitar before you learned piano? Yes, I did. So how many instruments do you play? Uh, I don't know. It's in the 20s. But like, I'm always real careful with that because there are some instruments that I play really well. Like I can do session work. You know, I can, if somebody needs a bass track, I'm very confident going in and getting paid to do a bass guitar track. Um, if somebody needs a drum track, same thing. Very confident. Now, if somebody wants a cello track, I play cello, but they're going to be sitting there waiting a while for me to get it right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like it's one of those things. So when people say, how many instruments do you play? It's like, I play like 12 or 13 probably really well. And then I dabble in like 20 something. I probably have 26 different instruments at my house that I know how to do something on. 
And on your albums, you do you record all of it your, yourself for the most part? For the most part, yeah. The voice of experience, I did all of the instrumentation myself. And that was just because I wanted to start that way. I wanted to like do the Dave Grohl thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, it was really important to me that I had one record where it was just me. Just to be like, here's my portfolio. Please hire me to do session work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or something. And uh, I don't think that was the goal at the time, but it's definitely come in handy since. Yeah. Um, on the Howl of Insanity, I'm like, okay, I did the record, you know, the show Bodie, look, I can do it all thing. And now I really want to just jam with my friends. And so I started calling up, like I remember calling up uh, Bill House from Conniption, um, as well as Andy Martin from Conniption. Basically, uh, we have a song called The Howl, where it's uh, Matt Schutz, who's been playing music with me for like 20 years now. Me, him, and then half of Conniption made this song called The Howl. I want it to be more collaborative. Um, there's a song called Promise Me on there where a Milwaukee band Audible Kink is on there. They're a duo. And I had both of them on for backup vocals. Um, and then Andy Heath and I switched doing leads. So it's a duet that's backed by another Milwaukee band. And then the rest of the instruments on there are just me. But vocally, it's a lot of people. And how long does it take you to record that? Not even the writing process. Um, how long does it take you to record since you're doing all of that yourself? Let's see. It varies, I think. The Voice of Experience, I think we logged uh, like 117 studio hours or something like that. Wow. The Howl of Insanity was really i feel like it came along really naturally but it was just a it was fewer sessions for sure where we'd like go in for a day and just hammer out a ton of stuff and then like a couple months later go in and hammer out a ton of stuff but if it feel like overall if you were to add up the hours it would be fewer that'd be a question for ryan coots he uh engineered that so maybe he has like the sessions you know on how long each one was I don't know. It makes sense that it depends on the record, though. Even, yeah. you know, how complex the songs are or how many instruments you have going in the well, songs or how many tracks. And there's, you know, there are other things like, I mean, songs like uh, How Bad Could It Get from the record The Howl of Insanity. That was really fast because I didn't do it all myself. Um, so I just played guitar and sang as live takes. I did it like three times through just to make sure we had one that was usable. And then we just had Thea Voris come in with a cello and play over that. And we're like, what else does it need? Thea, play cello over that again. You know, and then she harmonized her own cello. And we're like, boom. (laughs) Sometimes it just clicks. And I'm sure some days it doesn't. Yeah. How many, that's so cool. How many bands are you in? 10 at the moment. I, (laughs) I, uh, I only keep like four active at a time. Yeah. Um, so what are the band, your current bands that you're in? All right. So current bands, and I'll just I'll just list the ones because I, I realize sometimes when I do interviews and I'll talk about all my bands, it'll like oversaturate everything and people won't look up what I want them to. Um, so the bands that I am currently like on the road with and making music with are Part Time Problems. We just got a Facebook page so people can look up what that's all about. Um, American Progress, uh, which is a punk band we're playing at the uh, Harley Fest that you and I were talking about earlier. Yep. And then let's see. Already got, so Whiskey of the Damned. Uh, we just started working on some stuff loosely. And then the Andrew David Weber band is the one that will be on tour for like the next two months. And what do you do in each of those bands? Your fr- um, Andrew David Weber, obviously, you're singing and guitars. Yep. Whiskey, you play drums? Correct? Drums, yeah. We do this thing like it's like musical chairs. We all switch around. Um, but for, for about 60% of the show, I'm on drums. Um, and there's a little bit of keyboard work in there too, because I put my keyboard next to my drums. So like intros of songs and stuff I'll right. be playing, but yeah, so drums and vocals. Um, I have a pretty strong vocal duty in all of the bands. 
in part-time problems, I switch between piano and guitar. We have three guitar players, so you don't always need three guitar players. Uh, so when we don't need three guitar players, I play piano. Right. And then you do uh, some solo events where you hammer out cover songs and stuff like yep. that too, right? Yeah. And I actually, I'm in a cover band too called Mixtape that plays a lot around Milwaukee and Wisconsin in general. What are, um, I know you play a lot, so I wanted to ask you, because you're always playing somewhere, what are some of the, some of your favorite venues and then maybe some of the wackiest situations you played in? Okay. And favorite venues just anywhere? Yeah. Okay. I've got a couple that I really, really enjoy playing. There is a spot down in New Orleans called Lucky's. Uh, I've heard it's it's changed since I've been there, which it makes me kind of like reluctant to go in because like it's different management and, and stuff like that. But I can tell you for like five years in a row, every time I went down to New Orleans, I would go to Lucky's on St. Charles and either crash an open mic or just like book a last minute show. Or I'd tell them I was coming down ahead of time and then I would just stay down there for a week busking on Royal Street because that was just an awesome setup. Like, it was cool if you hung out there. They're open 24 hours a day and they're a bar and a laundromat, <laughs> you know, so like I could nice do laundry there. Yeah. yeah, awesome home base. Um, and then the right down the road is a, is a hostel called the Quisby, which is only like $30 a night to stay in. Um, so, yeah, I would park over there and then just go busk, right? Uh, um, you know, street perform or whatever during the day. Maybe play once or twice at Lucky's and then maybe another venue like Ace Hotel is awesome down there. You know, I'd probably do like, I try to do like one real show and then a couple instances of me just crashing someplace. Um, but New Orleans, I guess, is not so much for venue. It's my favorite city sure, to go play sense. in because if you don't have a venue to play in, you can just go <laughs> anywhere. Right. So, yeah, I would say New Orleans is my favorite city to play in. I base a lot of my tours around food. Um <laughs> So like there are a couple of bars called O'Brien's Nine Irish Brothers. There are actually three of them. They're in Indiana, and uh, one of them is in Lafayette. One's in West Lafayette, and the other is in Indianapolis. Uh, the one in Indy is awesome. Uh, shout out to my friend Jason who runs that. I try to play that almost every tour. It's weird that I'm not playing it this tour. Maybe I should just call him and say, "Hey, crash that too. Yeah. <laughs> Can I crash your restaurant, man?" Yeah. But really, I love playing there because one, they treat me really well which is always good. You know, you don't want to play somewhere where they don't treat you well. But uh, they also just have one of the best prime ribs that I've ever had. And so like, yeah, man, I got to go get me some yeah, steak. I got to go play around there somewhere. Yeah. And I know you are, uh, you've got good connections to my hometown and close to where the barn is located in St. Louis. I know, yep. I know you like playing down there and your drummers from there, right? Yep. Yeah. And we play San Lou. We used to play San Lou all the time. Whiskey the Damned especially used to play very often. We haven't in a little while now. Um, I think COVID just disrupted everything, you know, yeah. and it kind of changed the flow of things. But we still go down to St. Louis. Like we still practice uh, at Utopia Records. We actually are going down there. We'll be on down there on the 20th. Uh, nowhere that anybody could find us, but, <laughs> right. you know, getting the, getting the tour ready. We're doing all our tour prep down there. So and what about some wacky places? Wacky I places. I saw that you played at a dog park. Yeah, man. That was actually super cool. <laughs> <laughs> you love dogs, I guess? Yeah, I, yeah, I love dogs. Um, I've definitely played some weird events. Okay, so recently I was asked to play as Andrew David Weber, um, but like in exact words, like at 60%. What so does they, that mean? They didn't want my insane energy or like the in-your-faceness of an Andrew David Weber show. They wanted like a quieter, tamer version. 
I said yes. I'm like, I, yeah. as long as you let me know beforehand, that's what you want. Sure. I'm not out here to be like, no, I'm so punk rock. I have to be here to piss people off. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to like really show that I can be. You had to leave the rhinestone uh, jacket at home. For right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to, to dress down a little bit and then. Um, you know, I, I got to do more of my country repertoire that night and, uh, I mean, it was fun for me, really. It was awesome. Um, the funny thing was about, about it, they, they requested to, to play one song specifically and it was Born to be Wild and I just thought, that's so funny. You want me to not be wild. Not be wild and play. You want me to play Born to be Wild. <laughs> well, wild in the, when did that come out? Early 60s? Yeah. Something like that. Wild in the 60s yeah. was a little different. I mean, and, and this was an older crowd and stuff like that. So, I mean, they knew what they were booking for. They were yeah. just like, hey man, we, we want you. They love your voice. They're just like, can you get them to settle down a little? Right. That's hilarious. So that's a, that's what I would call a wacky one. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. You've got a you got a great history, a lot of great stories to tell, um, and diverse too. I know you've played with tons of other musicians, toured with people, and I know that's added to everything to where you are now. So let's talk about the gift of movement. What is the gift of movement? So uh, that is a loaded question, but the reason the album is named the gift of movement is uh for two reasons really, sonically. I bumped the low end of this album way more than my other albums. I mixed the bass on top of things this time because I really wanted the record to move. In, in some sense, it's literal. Like, I want you to, like, feel like dancing or something when you hear some of these songs. And then, contextually, it takes on more of a, a deeper meaning, I guess you could say. In the context of how the songs are written, a lot of them are about moving past things or, like, getting over past traumas or, like, you know, leaving things behind. It's like literally the gift of moving on, being able to let go of whatever that crazy thing that happened to you was. That's awesome. And you were nice enough to give the barn an advanced copy. So we've listened to that a couple times through. I can say that we really, really enjoyed it. We talked about the diversity of your tracks on on your records already. This one is definitely the same thing. So was it any different in the writing process as far as some of your other ones? Um, Yeah. There, there were differences. So this one I made with Jason Otto at Beyond Audio, uh, which is in West Bend, Wisconsin. And kind of like uh, going back to the voice of experience, that was just Jeff Hamilton and myself in a room for over 100 hours or whatever we said it was. With this one, it was that, but with a different guy. That being said, we used a lot of different equipment. Everybody's got their own tastes. As far as being similar to, to any of the records before it, it would be more similar to that uh, voice of experience than Hall of Insanity. Whereas, like, we used a lot of older analog technologies to, to record this record, uh, which is one of the big reasons I wanted to push it to vinyl. It's, like, meant to be listened to it. On vinyl? Way. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I mean, so, you know, we still mixed it down in Pro Tools, but everything that was used to track it, you know, has been around a while. <laughs> sure. Um, so, yeah, that right there kind of set it a different vibe. You know, you've got these different amp tones. You're going to play differently. You're going to feel differently. You're going to hear things back differently. And I think I picked up on some of that, like even, um, and maybe there were some after effects there. I know the first track is, is pretty upbeat. It's almost like your voice has some distortion on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, kind of 70s kind of vibe or something. So that is a Neumann U67 vintage microphone. Okay. So we're using old, um, hard, older hardware even. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think that was, it might've been a recreation, but that's what that was uh, that we were going for. We, we actually, uh, AB and seed some microphones you know we, we were very particular about what we used and we tried out a couple different things but that was what we kept coming back to just for that bite 
um, it kind of breaks up naturally. That's what you're hearing. It's not a, it's not so much a distortion, but it, like it's like how two guitar amps, guitar amps will naturally break up at a certain volume. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what was going on with this microphone and the preamp that we had it running through. And I, I am a yelly guy. I like to yell. And so when I would yell, it would be the perfect amount of like not ugly distortion, but like a crisp distortion that we were. That's like that's the sound we're going for. So my voice is very clear when I'm singing down at my speaking level. Mm-hmm. And then it's just got that. I, w- I would liken it to a lot of 70s tracks that have that same kind of like it's it's a nice warmth. And then there's just this bite when they start yelling. We talked about it being similar to the other albums. What makes it different? What makes it different? Stylistically, even though all of my albums are different styles, uh, this one explores some new territory. I'll go back to the fact that it is bass driven instead of, you know, driven by lead guitar solos the whole time or like intense lead guitar parts. Um, There's piano on it, but the piano takes a back seat and then just pops through when it needs to shine. Um, But the main instrument is bass. I wrote a lot of these songs from the bass up instead of like I usually do the drums up. Uh, This time I was like, no, I want the bass to punch like this and then the drums will be second to that. So rhythmically it was done almost backwards from uh, what I normally do. And that's why there's like all this space in there or like spots where the instrumentation is very sparse and it's just like the bass guitar and vocals like that first track. For most of that track, it's just like the drum beat, the bass guitar and the vocal carrying and then everything comes in for the chorus. Yeah. So dynamically, it's a lot different. It's really, really enjoyable. There's also some guest appearances on it, correct? Yeah. So my friend Mackenzie, um, she's on there. And uh, that was kind of cool because the song was just about done. And I was like, it just sounds a little bit dry. It needs some like vocal harmony. And then I was like, no, it needs somebody who sounds kind of like June Carter, like that kind of higher, uh, you know, a higher pretty lady voice is what it needed. And I was like, I know somebody who could do that. And it turned out she had never been in a studio before. So that was interesting for her, too. And uh, it ended up sounding great. Um, so she she's on one of the tracks. And then I did all of the instrumentation except for the strings on this one. So like I said, cello, I can play, but I'm going to be there for 100 million hours trying to get it right. And you don't want that <laughs> when you're in the studio trying to make a record and get it out on time. Um, so Thea Voris and uh, Marco Conley. Marco Conley plays with me in Whiskey of the Damned, so um, he and I have a good good jam vibe going <laughs> throughout that. Like I said, it's really, really good. I can't wait for people to hear it. So tell us about the release. So when's it coming out and how are we celebrating that? So we are going to kick off our tour on June 2nd at 6th Avenue Barbecue Pit and Bar in West Bend, Wisconsin. And that will also be the debut of my new band, Part-Time Problems. Oh, so you're playing a double? Yeah, I'm opening for myself. <laughs> Might as well. Well, the bill is uh, Liam Kyle Cahill, Part-Time Problems, Andrew David Weber. I'm in all three bands. Um, I don't know why I did this myself to kick off a tour, because <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> you know, that next morning is like, all right, so we got to go do it again, because we're actually the You're first. You're leaving the next morning? Yeah, um, and we are the first three bands at Forest Fest, um, which is killer. I've never actually managed to land myself uh, three spots on the same festival before so <laughs> where is uh force fest that's in morris illinois okay so that's on the way so what what uh what you're you're heading east i think yeah um so we had a couple days in between and i don't like days off so we're like i wouldn't really call it backtracking after that we're headed to uh joliet um which would put us back west by 30 minutes and then we're shooting out to um columbus ohio and then we're in bradford pennsylvania for two nights 
And then we are in Morgantown, West Virginia uh, at the art party. And then Wytheville, Virginia after that. And then I think we shoot up to somewhere in Maryland. And then um, and one of the last show, shows on the tour is up in Cambridge, New York. So, Ooh, nice. Yeah, so we'll be going a lot all over. Right. <laughs> a yeah. lot of eastern uh, half of the country. Yeah, so if you're close to any of those, go check those guys out. And all that should be... Where can people find you on social media? So that's the thing. That's as much of the tour as I can remember off the top of my head. Um, I'm really bad at that. So my website is just andrewdavidweber.com. Um, so my name, as you see it spelled on whatever post you saw this on, just that.com, www.andrewdavidweber.com. And you will find all the stuff there. And my website is way better at explaining it than I am. So Right on. And obviously, people can follow you on Facebook, Instagram, yep. all that good stuff. June 2nd, it is the gift of movement. Andrew David Weber, thanks for coming on. Hey, man. Thanks for having me again. All right. Have a great tour. We'll talk to you soon. Right on. Down to the house.